0: life According to the authors we need it because life is strewn with many dangers and your actions may prove the difference between life and death their claim is that no book is better at instructing you how to survive life's sudden turns for the worse than this one so here's what they teach you how to survive when you are adrift at sea. How to survive if your parachute fails to open. How to escape from an alligator's jaws. How to escape from a python's grip. And my favorite one, how to escape from a collapsed sofa bed. (laughs) Those things are lethal. I think that's wise. Now, Now, I agree with the author on one thing and disagree on another. I agree that the path of life is strewn with many dangers. But I disagree entirely with their scenario selection. As I read through this book, there were hardly any scenarios that I thought we would actually ever experience, which in itself makes it a very unhelpful book and a waste of £4.80. In contrast, the book of Proverbs deals with everyday dangers that are typical of our everyday experiences. And that is what makes it a valuable book. And in Proverbs 2, what we find are two scenarios that are, that are far more life-threatening than any of the things listed in the worst-case scenario a handbook. You see, it's not the pressure of a a python that we need to survive, but actually the pressure of our peers who entice us with things that we find hard to resist. It's not the alligator's jaws that we need saved from, but the alluring mouth of someone who tries to get us to do things with our bodies that break the sexual norms that God has set for us in his word. And here is what this father in Proverbs 2 wants to teach his son and us tonight. Getting wisdom, giving yourself wholly and completely to acquiring wisdom guards us against the dangers of ungodly influences in life and keeps us on the right path, the good path, the path of the righteous. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at two things. First, I want to lay out the two deathly dangerous scenarios that are incorporated into Proverbs 2. And secondly, I want to show us how to get the wisdom that helps us survive these scenarios. So first of all, we're looking at verses 12 to 19. These worst case scenarios, if they were uh, chapters in this book, uh, the worst case scenario, a handbook, I suppose you would call it, How to Survive the Enticement of Wicked Men, verses 12 to 15. Look at how these men are described. Well, they're described as wicked. It's not a good start. Their words, though, and their ways are perverse. Now, that's not talking about the kind of things that are considered to be obscene, even in our culture. But every day, unrighteousness. It describes not the most severe things, but the most common kinds of sinful acts and attitudes. And straight away it draws us in. So it's about disobeying your parents just as much as it's about murdering someone down the street. Verse 14 also tells us that these wicked men enjoy their perversity. They actually delight in doing wrong They find joy and happiness in it. That's a basic description of how the wicked are set out for us. Now, look at what the wicked do. Now, in Proverbs, the father is using words to lead us out of sin. We're supposed to pay attention to his words and his warnings. But the wicked, on the other hand, with their words, no, they're using words to lead people into sin. The exact opposite of the father. The father. The fact that they use words tells us that they're, even tells us that they're not physically dragging us into sin. No, they're enticing us with their words by appealing to our wills. Now, we as Christians know that we evangelize people. We tell people the good news about Jesus and the hope that they will join us on this path of righteousness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think what we have in Proverbs two. When it comes to the wicked men, we have anti evangelism, where people are using words to entice others away from the straight paths, the path of righteousness, and onto crooked paths. Now, straight away, we're supposed to see danger here, okay? The power of enticement can be life threatening to us, especially if you don't know what saves you from it. Now, sometimes the power of the enticement of wicked men is in the sin they commit. It looks good. It looks pleasurable. It looks like they're having more fun than we are. But other times, the power of enticement is actually in the desire to be liked by the people who are committing these sins. And not shunned by them. I think that's pressure we all feel, irrespective of our age. I suppose if you're a teenager, you would call that peer pressure where your mates urge you to join them in listening to explicit songs, for example, or watch explicit videos or do explicit things. Sometimes it can be hard to resist. But for those who are a little older, it's often called not peer pressure but people-pleasing. So what we do, what we buy, what we say, how we act in the company of others is conditioned by this strong desire to please other people and to be accepted by other people to the point that we are afraid of what they might think of us. Worse than that though, we are people pleasers when we find that we are more afraid of what people think of us than we are of what God thinks of us we need wisdom to save us from these wicked men and these crooked paths that they can lead us down but there's another thing in here that we should see that there there is the potential for every one of us who believe to become like the wicked man verse 13 tells us that they these are they who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways. And maybe they once sat in church. Maybe they came up through WPM and YPM. Maybe they served on the welcoming team. But where are they now? Well, maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're new to Edinburgh, whether in employment or, in, or as a student. You're maybe new to everything and you're trying to fit in and make friends. Uh, Be wise about in that making of friends. Because there may be people that you meet who have the capacity to destroy your life. It's not a melodramatic thing to say. That's what Proverbs is telling us tonight. What do we then need to survive? Verse 12 says we need wisdom. It's not something that you can take or leave. This is wisdom that you cannot do without. It's just as essential In the second of our worst case scenarios, in verses 16 to 19, and again, the chapter title might be How to Survive the Enticement of a Wayward Woman. Look at how she's described here. Like the wicked man, she also entices with her words, verse 16, seductive words nonetheless. Like the wicked man, she too seems to have left behind some straight paths of godliness to indulge in sexual immorality. She's broken her vows in two ways that uh, we see. Forgetting the partner of our youth. And forgetting the God who joined them together. Talk about a dangerous liaison. This is an adulteress who, it seems, offers you a taste of life, but sells you death. She she reminds me of the sirens of Greek mythology. The sirens lived on an island, and as ships sailed past, they would sing these enchanting songs that would draw sailors irresistibly toward the rocks and certain shipwreck. And I think that's an illustration of what adulterers and adulteresses can do with us with seductive words. The sirens provide an illustration of what sex outside of God's design does to us. Sure enough, it sings an enchanting song. It sounds sweet. But as it draws us closer and closer towards the rocks of worldly pleasure, we will, if we continue, shipwreck our lives. The wayward woman is herself headed for total destruction. You see this in verse 18. It's as if a vast sinkhole is going to swallow her house. Her house, says here, leads down to death. A good translation would be that her house sinks down into death. All that she is and all that she has is just headed for oblivion, destruction. And her paths, if you like, leads To hell, for her house leads down to death, verse 18, and her paths to the spirits of the dead, from which there is no turning back. Did you see verse 19? None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. That's what makes today a day of decision. How we respond to this kind of, these seductive words. Matters even in the little steps this seduction of course comes in different forms Uh, our media bombard us with sexual images that seduce our minds and can if we allow them form fantasies in us doesn't need to be something particularly explicit it could be something as seemingly innocent as a movie Uh, uh, sorry a what do you call it music video and you began with an M Of course the accessibility of pornography on many and varied devices is a huge snare for for a huge number of men and it's not uncommon for women too. And, And certainly it's not uncommon for a man or a woman, perhaps unhappy in marriage, to seek some sexual contact with someone other than their spouse. Brothers and sisters, we may meet wayward men and women who promise heavenly pleasures, if you like, but deliver only death. And again, the question we need to ask in this scenario, what do we need to survive? Verse 16 tells us it's wisdom that we need. It's wisdom that saves you from the adulteress. Now, the question then is, naturally, how do we obtain this wisdom that helps us survive these these dangerous scenarios, these potentially lethal situations? Well, this is the second thing we're looking at tonight, how to get wisdom that keeps us on the right path. that's what we see in verses 1 to 11. We are called to give our whole selves to acquiring wisdom. We see that in verses 1 to 5. Wisdom is acquired by applying yourself to biblical instruction. That's what the father is passing on. He's passing words onto his son so that his son might know God and walk in his ways. But the extent to which the son Receives this instruction depends actually on what he does with his teaching. Did you see in verses 1, 3 and 4 you have if. If you accept my commands, if you call out for insight, if you look for it as for a hidden treasure, whether or not he gets wisdom depends on these ifs. Which tells us that if we don't apply our whole self In this way, we can't really expect to obtain wisdom or the protection that it brings from these dangers we've mentioned. So the Father is saying to his Son and to us, this instruction is so valuable. Do you see how he starts to describe it? He starts with the word words. But look, by the end of verse 4, what's it described as? It's all the same thing. Treasure. He has ramped up in intensity throughout these four verses. What these words, are they they just words? No, they're not words. They're not just words. There's wisdom in these things. In fact, they're like silver. It's like a precious metal. In fact, it's better than that. It's like hidden treasure. So he ramps up the intensity of the worth of this wisdom that we can gain. And then the Father says, you really ought to give yourself wholly, to discovering it examining it mining it that's what the father says employ every faculty you can muster verse one says with our minds we must accept these words and store them up verse two says we must strain our ears and work really hard to listen hard Verse 3 says that we must use our mouths to cry aloud for more. In chapter 1, wisdom was the one crying out in the street, listen to me. But in chapter 2, it's the student, it's the son, it's us. We are the ones who are to call aloud and cry out for wisdom. And then verse 4 suggests with our eyes, search out that hidden treasure. I wonder if God's wisdom... The wisdom that we have in this word is that valuable to us. I suppose finding the answer to that question would be found in asking the other question, did you read your Bible today? Imagine you just bought yourself a piece of land And as you're digging it over, you find a shiny strip of silver in one of the rocks. You dig it out, and you find that it's worth £3,000. Let me ask you would you be happy just going home that night to have mined that one strip alone? No, absolutely not. You keep digging all through the night, I'm sure, deeper and deeper, never stopping until we have actually mined the rest of that land. Because we wouldn't be just satisfied with taking away a lot of silver. We should be determined in that respect to leave no silver behind. The same should be true of God's word. We should not be content just with what we know and the treasures that we have in store in our hearts already. But we must dig deeper. We must search harder. We must mine the depths with the hammer of prayer and ask, Lord, show yourself. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding that we may know you better and know how to live for you. It is strange that when we don't strain ourselves to read the Bible when we can or talk about it with fellow believers whenever we have the opportunity, sometimes it seems like one of the last things we talk about. And it's strange sometimes we don't strain ourselves to hear it whenever it is preached if the acquiring of wisdom for knowing the good path and avoiding the deadly dangers in life is so vital then we need to perhaps be more like Mary who was glad to sit at the Lord's feet listening to what he said or to model ourselves on the Bereans who received the message from Paul in Acts 17 with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what was said was true There are obvious applications in this. If we expect God to speak through his word, then we will attend when his word is preached. If we have an appetite for learning, we will actually pay attention whenever it is preached. And if we desire to grow in godliness and in wisdom, we would read even just one verse a day. Never mind talk of memorizing it, which we should. We are convicted by these things. We're saddened by our forgetfulness, aren't we? But appreciative at the same time of his grace. If we give ourselves to listening and learning and applying the wisdom that we receive in God's words, the question then is, what can we expect to find? Well, verse 5 says, you will unlock the key to everything. This is the motto verse for the book of Proverbs, isn't it? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's picking up on Proverbs 1, seven, that slogan that we were left with a few weeks ago to understand this whole book. So we spend ourselves in pursuit of wisdom. And what do we find? A person who is generous in giving it. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given you. What a picture of his grace. What a picture of his favor towards us that he is generous even with his wisdom, even when we don't deserve it. So when we seek and find the wisdom and knowledge of God, what else do we find? Well, we find him to be a shield to those who walk in his wisdom. It's like God gives wisdom even to be our protector and our guard. It's like a bodyguard to protect our paths by means of discretion and and good decision making. I've never had a bodyguard. I've never needed one. Yes, because I'm not important. Um, but when I lived in St. Andrews, um, I saw a bodyguard. <laughs> uh, the summer I arrived in St. Andrews, when I, when I worked up there, I went to the pastor at St. Andrews Baptist Church. Um, the summer I arrived was the summer that Prince William left. I didn't take it personally. Um, but I was just walking into Tesco Express one day, and coming out was the future king. Uh, And it was just a bizarre experience. But in front of him was this huge specimen of a man dressed in a suit, sunglasses on, earpiece on. I'm sure he was listening to the radio. Um, But I just thought, yep, no one is going to mess with him because of you. I didn't say that to him. Um, Although sometimes I do say things out loud like that. Um, But this is what wisdom provides for us. God is a shield to us and he provides wisdom that guards us and protects us from these two worst case scenarios that we find in here and a gazillion more. He's generous towards us in revealing himself and disclosing to us his willingness and his desire to serve us in this way. Wisdom saves us by guarding us against the dangers of ungodly influences in life and keeps us on that path of godliness. Do you see that in verse 9 and in verse 20? Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. Thus, verse 20, you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. He keeps us right. And verses 20 to 22 tell us in closing why this is vital. Why we must get this right. Why we must give our whole selves to accepting and storing and turning our ear to and applying our hearts to and calling out for and crying out for and and searching for this wisdom, this treasure that is in his words because your eternal destiny can, uh, depends on this. There are two paths in the end. You see it in verse 21 and 22. For the upright, in other words, those who are on the good path, will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Now in those days, this was, these words were tied up with the blessing of the people of God in the land that they inhabited. But for us, it points forward through the Lord Jesus Christ to something new and wonderful to come the new heavens and new earth. There are two paths that lead ultimately to two destinations where we can either be safe forever in a special place in the presence of God or lost forever in a terrible place away from the presence of God. And wisdom is worth the pursuit because it's a way that guarantees eternity in heaven, not hell. But as we look at every other path, even though they look like they're having a good time, there is a check out the good path and the wayward path lead to very different places. And of course, the way to that forever place, that safe place, that joyful place, that pleasure-filled place is through faith in Jesus Christ, who himself was designated by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 as Christ, the wisdom of god the one who leveled all of humanity's puffed up wisdom humanity who thought yeah we're cleverer than you are we understand how this all came to be we understand who we are and what we're meant to do but god chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise the foolishness of a cross where Jesus Christ the eternal son of God was stretched out to die for our sins that we though it seems foolish to the world might be wise for salvation saved for eternity and eternal pleasures at his right hand in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our pursuit of wisdom is a pursuit of Christ Jesus himself. And my encouragement for you tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you can avoid this lost forever, being lost forever in this terrible place by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, by forsaking the wicked and crooked ways of the wicked man, From re- rejoicing in things that God does not look kindly on. Indeed, the very things that Christ shed his blood for. And to turn away from the ways of the immoral woman and the pursuit of sex as the ultimate thing in life. It's not. God is. Death is decisive for destiny. And that's why today should be a day of decision for you.